Thank you, Brother Ben, and it's great to see all of you here tonight, and thank you so very much for coming. Ma'am, he just received the offering. If that was anyone else but my mother-in-law, I would have all kind of fun with that, but it's not worth the price I would pay later. So, uh, but uh, I started to say something about senility and that kind of thing, but I thought it'd probably be better if I didn't, so anyway. (laughs) But it's great to see all of you in the house of the Lord tonight, and thank you so very much for coming. And I will remind you that the meatballs that Sister Wheeler's making for Sunday is a She's for Christ fundraiser, so all the proceeds from that will go to She's for Christ. And uh, I've asked you during our 21 days of sacrifice to please pray intentional. Uh, Please find time to pray. And when you pray, just pray that God keeps his hand on Grace Church and uh, keep his hand on our future and uh, lead us and guide us and so on. And then also we have a really cool announcement coming for the adult Sunday school class, perhaps this coming Sunday. Uh, If those of you that may have word of that, if you would not let the cat out of the bag, we'd appreciate it. So if someone comes up and bribes you, Unless it's a substantial Sheets for Christ offering, uh, we prefer that uh, you keep that under your hat. And uh, we'll make a, a surprise for the adult Sunday school class. So um, <clears throat> was the Spirit of the Lord real here this past Sunday or not? <clears throat> what a great, great time in the Lord we had this past Sunday. And uh, I am so thankful for the beautiful, beautiful presence of God um, that that has met with us for the past number of Sundays. It's just an awesome thing to know that God's hand <clears throat> is on our church, and uh, I depend on that. Thank the Lord. Has anybody noticed anything missing in here tonight? Somebody said it. The kids and all the young people. We have resumed kids' church. So if you are of that age, I don't currently see anybody of that age but if you're of that age you may want to be dismissed or you're welcome to sit in here with us and um, where are you going (laughs) that was just too good of an opportunity I was hoping for once somebody would get up and walk out while I would just when I said that so it worked out perfect. We're teasing Hannah, sweet, sweet lady. <clears throat> Let's jump back into our Bible study that we started from uh, last Wednesday night, and we, again, just had an amazing time uh, last Wednesday night. I don't know if you remember that, but it ended up just having a, just a huge outpouring of the Holy Ghost here last Wednesday night. God has been so good, and I appreciate uh, the working, the moving, of God's Spirit. But last Wednesday night I started a study and, and, and didn't get anywhere close to finishing it. Uh, probably won't tonight either. Probably finish it up uh, maybe next Wednesday night. <clears throat> but I've talked to, you, talked to you last Wednesday night about the discipline of spiritual growth and uh, literally did not make it out of my introduction. And uh, just the Spirit of the Lord moved and, and we went with it and it was a great, great moment. Um, for a lot of folks. 
My text is coming from 1 John chapter 2, and I'd like to read it again. John said, I write unto you, little children. Everybody say, little children. Because your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And then he said, I write unto you, fathers. Everybody say, fathers. Because you have known him that is from the beginning. And then he said, I write unto you, Young men, everybody say young men. The point is obvious here, and I'll not finish the reading. <clears throat> but the, the point is obvious that John is, is calling out little children or younger people, not necessarily in age, but in their tenure uh, in their, of their relationship with God. And then he's calling out the people who are seasoned, uh, fathers, and then he's calling out young men who may have some experience but are still growing. His point is to illustrate the different levels of spiritual growth. This is not a literal, natural uh, age group I don't believe that he's referring to. I believe he's dealing with the various levels of spiritual maturity that can exist in the church. I've learned a long time ago that what we think is spiritual growth most people, what most people think is spiritual growth, really isn't. And I'm going to show you that tonight. <clears throat> I began last Wednesday night just for a quick review about the necessity of spiritual growth. And in my opinion, it's one of the most important tasks a child of God can take on. We must work at spiritual growth just like we do other areas of growth in our life. When we grow from a child to an adult, there's a transition you make there. Paul said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Well, I have known some men that have yet to put away childish things. They're not growing up in a natural fashion. And then I found people that have gotten married, that have a difficult time maturing to equal the task of marital commitment. And when that's not the case, and it really has nothing to do with age, there's just some people who don't understand the necessity of growth, whether it's natural growth, mental growth, emotional growth, domestic growth, growth in how to handle finances. Uh, there, there's, there's a number of levels of growth that must be engaged in a person's life. The one I want to focus on tonight is spiritual growth. Just because you attend church doesn't mean you're mature. It does not mean that. And John illustrates that in the reading that I read to you tonight. So while the state of, of spiritual maturity is a privilege to have occurring in one's life, it is also a necessity. It is very difficult to really work with people and develop people in church when there's not the spiritual maturity that goes along with that. And I'll be honest with you, I have uh, misread people. I hate to use the word judge, but I've misjudged people, meaning I'm not judging them to critique them, but I just assumed that there was more substance in a person's life than what I thought there was, and uh, their leadership role or what we called on them to do became a disaster. Uh, so spiritual maturity is of utmost importance. 
Last Wednesday night, I presented to you three areas in which God will challenge our spiritual development. And I hope everybody is getting, getting a hold of this. I'm just going to go through it briefly again. But first of all, God will oftentimes use other people. It's almost like God plans. I believe it is God plans for people to be in your life that's going to rub you the wrong way. They will provoke you, maybe intentionally or unintentionally. But nonetheless, there are people that God will place in your life and they will force you to mature just in order to figure out a way to handle them or deal with them. You can say what you want, but I believe sometimes... Our kids do that. I've seen kids that's made their parents grow up, and you wonder who's raising who. But kids can bring you to a level of understanding, of maturity, that no one else can. But the Bible said that iron sharpens iron, and the meaning of that scripture, what it has to do with, is relationships with people. That there are people in your life that can be very tedious and very difficult just because of who they are. And I believe God allows that to happen. So people can make you and cause you to mature if you'll let that happen. We want to run away from those situations. We want to divorce ourselves of those situations. But oftentimes, if you'll stick with it, whether you have that much impact on the other person or not, they can sure make a fine individual out of you. Amen. The second thing God uses is circumstances. And I believe there's difficult things that happen in our life because God allows it. The Bible said that all things work together. All things work together. And I believe God will allow things to happen in our life to mature us, to make you think different. He can make you think more long term. He can make you more of a planner more of a visionary. God can use circumstances in your life to make you think deeper and process things and not be such a knee-jerk reaction kind of person. So God can use circumstances. The third thing that God uses is spiritual discipline, and that's what you hear behind this pulpit all the time. I want to say it again, especially in the middle of this 31-day or 21-day fast. There is not a substitute for genuine, sincere, heartfelt prayer, open-minded Bible study, and fasting. There is no substitute for that. I don't care who you are. There is no substitute for the presence of God and the Word of God in our life presented at the level that God wants it. I talked to you this past Sunday about Aaron making an idol Some commentaries say that he tried to form it after what he thought Jehovah looked like. So he tried to create his own Jesus, if you will. He only allowed him to have one because we only believe in one God, right? But he he let him have that idol. Um, you, you, You have to serve God on his terms. You worship him on his terms. God don't like idols in our life. He don't like things in our life taking priority and precedent over him. He's a jealous God. And where he will not separate himself from you, he may let you separate yourself from things that's interfering with you and him. And that's what we don't understand about the jealousy of God. 
He will strip us down sometimes and remove things out of our life that's a hindrance to our relationship with Him. So again, the disciplines of prayer, fasting, personal Bible study, corporate worship, and other avenues of spiritual things. These are things that changes us from the inside. Other people in our life, circumstances in our life work on us from the outside. But these spiritual disciplines that God has established in the Word of God work on us from the inside. And we have to understand that. Um, I asked you some questions last Wednesday night, and I want to ask them again. Simply for the sake of causing us to think. What I'm about to ask you can tell us a lot about the aspect of spiritual growth that is occurring in our own lives. I'm not asking you to look across the aisle at someone else and say, well, I know that's not, boy, they're, they're not making much progress. I'm asking you to hold the mirror up in front of your own face tonight. Since you have been born again, however long ago that's been, it could have been last week or 50 years ago, since you've been born again, do you have a greater hunger and thirst for God now than you did then? If you don't, then you might want to consider your spiritual growth. Are you applying what the Word of God teaches to your life more now than you did then? If you're not, then you may want to give that some consideration. You're not maturing. You're going backwards. Are you more loving in your relationship now that you're a Christian? (laughs) I'm, I'm... Sorry, I probably shouldn't have asked that question because, you know, we love people overseas and, you know, we'll raise money for Shoes for Christ and we even love people in other states. But our neighbor and the people we're married to and our family and and those kind of people, for some reason, we have it in our head that we really don't have to love them that much. But I believe Christianity starts in the home. Christianity is how you treat your wife. It's how you treat your spouse, your kids. I don't care how nice you are to me. If you're not treating them right, you're a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal, and the word hypocrite can be applied to your life. How much have you grown since you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Is there a growing sensitivity to the presence of God in your life? If there's not, then you're not growing. Does a concern for the spiritual well-being of others that God has placed in your life. Does that ever bother you? I'm convinced here tonight that we have parents that attend church here at Grace that are not really concerned that their kids have the Holy Ghost or not. Not worried about it. Say, well, when they get old enough, they'll get the Holy Ghost. Well, what are you doing to facilitate that as a parent? You pray with them? Do you discuss it with them? You don't have to force it, but make them aware of it. Are you doing that? Do you promote the Word of God and the things of God in your home as much as you do little league sports or shopping or video games or, and the list goes on? We have to understand, folks, if we want, <laughs> if we want this relationship with God that, I, that you often talk to me about, I'm trying to challenge you on these levels then there's got to be some work on your part. It's got to the point now that people don't only want to do the work to pray for their own request. Or they don't want to pray for their own word for, for, from God. They want the preacher to give it to them. Oh, we've got Brother Murphy and 
you know, Brother Jason hears from God and we have other people. I'll just hold out and maybe God will speak to them and they'll speak to me. We've gotten that lazy in our relationship with God. I think if you need something from God, you need to bury your face in the carpet and you ball and snot until you get that answer. That's what you do. Give the Lord some little plastic worship here. Why don't we real quick? Does your personal failings and sin in your own life increasingly bother you? Or do you ignore and justify these patterns? <clears throat> is my mic working? This is a quiet. Is it, maybe our kids are gone. Maybe that's what the problem is. They're in their own class now. Are you given to extended times of prayer and fasting? How quickly are you willing to forgive things committed against you? How, willing, how quickly are you willing to forgive somebody who has offended you? Versus that question when you first pray through the Holy Ghost. If you're better at it, then you've grown some. If you're worse at it, you need a fresh pray through the Holy Ghost. I'm being honest here tonight, y'all. Everybody likes real Bible study. I'm giving you one right now. And if we're not improving in these areas, then we're not maturing. We're staying the same age or going backwards. <clears throat> Do you have a greater longing to go to heaven <laughs> than you did when you prayed through the Holy Ghost? I think if we did, we'd act like it. Uh, is worship heartfelt or are you just going through the motions when you're at church? We've been talking about that on Sundays and I'm seeing it more and more. You have this amazing wave of the Holy Ghost. You know, Brother Wheeler or, or Brother Dave, any of the ministry team guys will turn around and say, man, the Holy Ghost is just rumbling through the house. And you look across the crowd and you're seeing, it's like we're not impacted by the presence of the Lord and we should be. And the reason we're not is there's, there's not the maturity in us maybe that there needs to be when was the last time you actively took advantage of an opportunity to witness to someone who was lost these questions are really good indicators of spiritual growth and if you can't answer them properly then you should look in the mirror and let's do some soul searching and uh if you will it'll impact you it'll impact your home your church your community everywhere you go and there's many other questions that could be applied to spiritual growth in our lives. So while these questions can elicit some very uncomfortable answers, the answers can be the thing that motivates us to experience what John was writing of when he mentioned the progression of children to young men to finally fathers. So there's a few observations that I want to make here tonight in the rest of this Bible study. And describe to you what spiritual maturity is not. First of all, spiritual growth and spiritual maturity, spiritual development, is not measured by time. I remember testimonies from when I was a child um, of... One of the famous lines, and, they, and, and so many people would stand and testify and say the exact same thing. There was never anything new or fresh. It was always the same thing. And most of them ended up crying, and uh, y'all pray for me, that I'll make it all the way to the end. Anybody ever heard a testimony like, it just makes you want to get up and run the aisles, don't it, when you hear a testimony? Boy, that is an overcomer if I've ever heard one, right? Y'all pray for me, <laughs> that I can make it all the way. Hallelujah, God, man, sister so-and-so was sure anointed on that one. That's why we quit it. 
They're not testimonies. They're vent-monies. We want to get up and tell our problems and what's going on anyway. I'm not here to talk about that. But I've heard this most of my life. I'm not making fun of anybody, but it's just things that it doesn't resonate to me. It doesn't resonate with spiritual growth. Well, the point I was leading up to is people would stand up and testify and say, you know, I've had the Holy Ghost 45 years. And the devil has just been pounding me all week. Well, there's something wrong with that picture. After 45 years of spiritual experience, you ought to be able to know a few things about how to handle the devil. So you're not growing. You're not maturing. You're stuck. There's a big difference in attending school going to classes K through 12 than to going 12 years in the first grade. There's a big difference. I can say, I've been to school for 12 years, but have you gone through all the grades, or you just keep repeating the same one over and over and over? That one you keep repeating when you first started. You know, I can kind of sympathize with somebody a little bit failing in the 12th grade, because it's hard. But the first grade, kindergarten, you might ought to be able to slip through that, at least with a D+. plus. But church folks don't understand that. You know, I can stay an eight-month-old babe in Christ until rapture and somehow be expected to be believed that I'm this mature, solid, growing, developing Christian. We need to understand that spiritual growth is not measured by time. Spiritual growth is not measured by the calendar. In fact, time often plays a very small role in spiritual growth. One can be in and around church for their entire life and not really demonstrate spiritual growth at all. Sadly, there are many cases of those who have been in church for years, years on end, with little growth to show for the time they've spent at church. They are no more acquainted with Scripture, no deeper in their prayer life, clueless to the great doctrines of the Word of God, have little evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. They manifest little evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. And they're oftentimes the center of every squabble that passes down the pike. That people don't know how to handle themselves in a church environment. And it grieves me. It grieves me when I talk to people in their 20s and 30s that's been born and raised in church that cannot tell me how to be saved. They can't give me one scripture on, about there being one God. You know why? It's not the church's fault. It's not the Sunday school teacher's fault. It's your fault. Because you don't want to pick up the Bible and study it. It's not interesting enough for you. you we somehow have this mindset, you know, it's just like mama cooking dinner every night. I never had to cook dinner when I lived at home. I could depend on my mother. There are some of you folks that moved out from Mama's house that still go back every night because Mama's still cooking for you because you can't learn how to do it. Hello? Man, I, am I doing something wrong here tonight or something? Man, it just, are y'all listening? Y'all got the thing turned off or something? Thought I'd get a... Somebody to agree with me once in a while. I'm so low on this one. 
Amen is right. I'm all by myself up here. First amen of the night that I'm soloing up here. But it's true. We're accustomed to church doing everything for us. And there's not that daily discipline on our own. And that's where the absence of so many things in our life are. I'm not being mean here tonight. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just, I want to wake us up a little bit more. God's doing some amazing things at Grace Church. And we're already experiencing a little bit of a growth spurt. But I believe there's more coming down the pike. And I'd like for us to be as ready as possible. Be able to help people and minister people. And it's hard to minister to other people when we need to be ministered to all the time. Y'all get what I'm saying here tonight? Uh, I'm not trying to be offensive. But I believe everybody in this class tonight ought to be able to give somebody some clue of how to be born again and how many gods there are and why. And if we don't know that, it's because I do my job. I spit it out here for you four or five Sundays ago. Went through a little thing on Sunday morning. Um, God help us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you, as unto spiritual, or as though you were spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now uh, you're not able to bear it even now, for you are still carnal, he said. For whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are you not carnal? And walk as men or as carnal men. Spiritual growth is only measured by the law of accumulation in one's life. Time is a factor in accumulation because the passage of time is required for the growth, for one to grow, to gather material and to experience spiritual growth. However, if there's not a conscious thought given to seeking after spiritual things, then people will never be brought into one's spirit. These things will never be brought into your heart and mind and what have you. Let's keep moving. The writer of Hebrews has inferred in Hebrews 5, chapter 12 through uh, 14 that there should be some forward progress. But the writer of Hebrews even indicates that there's no growth at all among those that he's writing to. Enough time has passed, but they are no closer to being spiritually mature. Limitations And immaturity have bound them, he said. It is sad to see people who have been trapped in jealousy and strife and conflict and lack of discernment and ignorance and hurt and bitterness and weakness. People get trapped in that. I know what I'm talking about here tonight. I have worked with more people, especially since we've been in this building over the past eight or nine years, who have come here so hurt and so bitter and so ripped apart They should have been at a spiritual level, a maturity level, spiritually speaking, by now, to be able to work through these situations on their own. It shows our maturity level. Let's continue. This isn't going good. Uh, What spiritual growth is not. Secondly, spiritual growth is not related to knowledge. Sometimes there can be the vast mistake that insinuates that the more that one knows about the Bible that the more spiritually mature they are. Information does not necessarily mean maturation. Information does not equal maturity. There's a lot of people I know that just graduated from college and hardly knows how to put gas in their car. 
it, 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 these things don't necessarily equate. We think in our head they do, but they do not. In fact, one should have to look no further than the confrontations that Jesus had with the Pharisees to determine that they were literally spiritual pygmies. Much information has been, had been downloaded, but very little incorporation of the law had been present in their understanding of God. With what they claimed they knew about the, the law of God, the law of Moses, and the way they used it against Jesus all the time, showed their incredible lack of maturity and understanding. First and foremost, that they couldn't recognize who he was. They knew it. They knew the prophecies. They knew a Messiah was coming, but could not discern that it was him. Thirdly, spiritual growth has little to do with activity. Sometimes the most immature spiritual people are those who are seemingly leading the way. They're in leadership. They teach Sunday school. They do this. They do that. But just because they're in leadership and they've been doing something around the church for a long time doesn't mean they're spiritually mature either. Busyness in the church has little to do with a person's true spiritual growth. It's not what you do at church that's all that important along this line. It's what you do at home. One of the most chilling passages in the Bible are these words given by the Lord in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and have thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever hears the sayings of mine, Therefore, everybody that hears these sayings of mine and what? And doeth them. It's not enough to learn it. It's not enough to memorize it. It's not enough to commit all this stuff and pack it all in your brain. If you don't do it. James wrote about this in his epistle when he said a man could look at himself in the mirror and see that he's a hot mess, that's Murphy commentary, and turned around and walk away from the mirror and forget what manner of man he was. And oftentimes that's what happens at church on Sunday. We'll come down to the front and God will really stir us up, and by Monday morning we've moved on to the job and chores around the house and just kind of forget about all that stuff. I'm saying to you folks here tonight, we've all heard this, but it would be a great thing if we could practice it more and act like we practice it more. <clears throat> Jesus said, if you hear these sayings of mine and do them, then I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house on a rock. This is where I'm talking about Christianity starts at home. You can't act like an idiot at home and be wonderful at church. It just it don't work out that way. Jesus knows the difference. Christianity starts in your heart and then it comes out of you and it should touch the next closest person to you, which for most of us in here would be our spouse, and then our kids, and then our parents, and then right on down the line. Your Christianity isn't for the man on the job and, and the person across the sea somewhere that we give money to. Yes, that's a great place to, to manifest Christianity. But Jesus said, 
And all of these people saying to him, we prophesied in your name, we cast out devils in your name, and all that stuff. That's here at home. That's with people you know, and people know you, and and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus is going to say, I don't know you, because you did things in my name for your own glory and self-edification, but you didn't do them the way that I wrote for you to do them. You didn't apply them the way I wanted you to apply them. But he's correcting the situation with the folks and saying, if you hear what I teach and preach, if you hear my word and you do it the way I'm teaching you to do it, then I will consider you a wise man. So when the storms come and you get hurt and you get bitter and things don't go your way and you get offended and all that kind of stuff, when the rains come, the storms come, no matter what comes into your life, no matter what comes into your life, the Bible said, Jesus said, that your house will not fall. <clears throat> and people that he went on to say that hears these sayings of mine in verse 26, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man. And your house won't stand up against nothing. Your relationship with God won't make it. Your relationship with your family won't make it. Your relationship with your church won't make it. Any little storm that comes along is going to blow you away and you're not going to make it. This is why it's imperative to study the Word of God and then practice what it teaches. Spiritual growth is not related to how busy one may be working in the kingdom. As a matter of fact, some of those uh, that are working in the kingdom are some of the most spiritually bankrupt people. They're Marthas. They're busy working for God but they never take time to go kneel at his feet. Working for God is not a substitute for prayer. Visiting people is not a substitute for prayer. Talking to people on the phone about Jesus is not a substitute for prayer. You have to do these things. You have to do these. So very little time is set aside to truly develop the spiritual qualities that are determined by the Bible as a standard of spiritual growth. So one could sing, one can teach, one may be active in the youth group. You can list a hundred things and literally be wilting away in their own heart again. I'm going to say it again. There's no substitute for time spent in prayer and worship and the Word of God. Generally, the person who is following this path has allowed himself to be self-deceived because of a lack of self-examination. Yet this person will generally fall back on the fact that, well, we were busy working for the Lord. I mean, I worked up the church all the time. I taught Sunday school every Sunday. I sang the praise team every Sunday. You know, I, I was an usher. I was a greeter. I was a this or that. There's not a substitute for prayer, Bible study, fasting, worship. There's not a substitute for these things. And if you're not doing it, you're not going to grow spiritually. I don't care what you learn and how busy you are. You have to take time. I, you know, I'm concluding. I'm, I'm, I'm done here. But... I grew up, the, the church environment I grew up, um, let's see, uh, Sheila Gons will remember, uh, the Nixons will remember, uh, maybe others here tonight will remember, but when I was a teenager, if you wasn't praying an hour a day, <laughs> you were just going to split the pit. I mean, that was worse than being a drunk and a liar. That's the environment I grew up in. I'm not, I, I, I may be exaggerating a little bit, but but our goal was to try to pray an hour a day, and I'm failed at it miserably as a teenager. I did. 
I very rarely prayed an hour a day, every day. I don't know that I ever made two days in a row. And I developed this huge guilt complex because of it. And, and when I started pastoring, you know, you, you, when you pastor a church and you want to try to help people, it really causes you to do, you know, to be real introspective and, and, and you start doing inventory and you consider the things that you've been taught and all those things all of your life and you start measuring it against, you know, the practicality of it. Is it biblical and so on? And, you know, the idea came when Jesus was in Gethsemane and asked his disciples, could you not watch and pray with me for one hour? So everybody took by that when I was a teenager that everybody had to pray an hour a day. Well, it occurred to me as I tried to grow and develop in pastoring that our relationship with God, uh, we're the bride of Christ and we're a child of God, right? So we're the bride of Christ. The Bible talks about that. And we're also a child of God. Well, then I began to think about it. <clears throat> the, the, I compared that praying an hour a day with the interaction I had with my family and, um, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a huge talker. Most men are not. You know, they say across the board that women talk in paragraphs, men talk in headlines. It's a true statement. And uh, I'm not a big talker, and I, I can't ever remember after being married for a year or two that I'd ever sit down and talk to Sister Murphy for exactly one hour. And I said, oh, time's up. Talk to you an hour, got to move on. I didn't talk to my kids for an hour. We interacted all day long, and we communicated all day long, so I started thinking about it, and I applied that to my own spiritual life. Now, this is just my opinion. You can think as you choose. But I would rather go talk to Sister Murphy for 10 minutes of just good quality conversation, you know, tell her some things that's up with me and listen to some things that's up with her and you know, just have good quality conversation for 10 or 15 minutes. Then rather just sit down and, or, or just follow her around the house going, Paula, 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 Paula. Oh, Paula, 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 Paula. And do that for one hour. I think after about five minutes of that, she would turn around and scream, would you shut up? But honey, I'm just trying to talk to you for an hour. But that's what we do to Jesus, and we call it Praying. Have you ever thought about how much our prayers lack substance? Hello? We can Jesus him to death for an hour. And say, we prayed an hour. But what did you say other than Jesus and oh God and hallelujah and amen and praise the Lord. And you start over. Jesus, 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 oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. God, I need you, God, I need you, God, I need you. Do you talk to your family like that? That puts you in a looney tune place if you talk to your family like that. What if I counsel like that? Call Brother Billy into the office and, and want to talk to him for a few minutes and said, oh, Billy, 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 Billy. Oh, Billy, I really need your help, Brother Billy. I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. Oh, Brother Billy, I need you, I need you. He would look at me like I was a complete clown. Why do we talk to God like that? And then what makes prayer even more interesting is when we add the King James Version to it. Oh, thou gracious and heavenly Father, thy will be done. When did you come from London all of a sudden? 
So my point to all of that, and, and I'm serious as I can be, I literally have laughed at myself while I was praying, thinking, what am I saying to God? He's looking at me like I don't have a clue what you're trying to say. You just keep saying my name and that you need me for what? Well, God, you know my heart. That's the clincher right there, ain't it? Well, God, you know. I do know, but it'd be better if you told me. You have not because... So, I'm not the great prayer, and I don't have it all figured out and all down pat, but I can tell you what, I don't tell God anymore that I just need you, I need you, I need you. I tell him what I need him for. And when I talk to him, I tell him what I need. So my point in all this is, is this. I've reached the point where if I could get just good church folks to pray five to ten minutes a day, solid, honest, real, communicative prayer, if you could do that five to ten minutes a day, it would far, to me, this is my opinion, you differ, that's fine. Or if other pastors differ, that's fine, it's my opinion. But if you could pray five to ten minutes, very, very quality, and really communicate with God, to me, that's a whole lot better, Sister Eton, than this one hour of Jesus, 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 Jesus. I know a lady today, she doesn't attend this church, but I have, she has prayed the same for years. If I call her name, most of you would know her, and you may know her by what I'm about to illustrate. But the only thing I've ever heard her do is Jesus, 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 Jesus. And then it ends up in so we just knock the J-E off the first part of that name, and you just do the S-U-S part of it, and just, so we just short it, just shorten it. So I'll call Brother Billy in. If I can't say Billy, 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 I'll just call him Lee, 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 Lee. <clears throat> it's ridiculous. If you stop and think about what I'm saying, it's true. You don't talk to anyone else on this planet like you talk to God. And half of what we say to God don't make an ounce of sense. So if I could get folks to pray... Say 15 minutes a day, just, God, I need you in my life right now because, God, I'm struggling with, and you fill in the blank. And, God, I thank you for, and you fill in the blank. And list everything you can think of. Tell him what you're thankful for. Don't leave him guessing. Just pray, folks. Just pray. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to finish this. It, it's, I've said enough tonight. Uh, but I hope you get the point. Just talk to God. Talk to Him in your car. Uh, this old thing that you have to be at the church right here at this step and pray, or you have to be in the A Center, I would love for that to happen. I'd love for folks to come up here and pray. I'd love for that to happen. And maybe some do. I'm up here quite a bit. I don't see that many folks, but maybe you come at a different time than I do, and that's fine. I'd love for people to pray. But if nothing else, you folks that drive long distances to work, turn the radio off. Forget about Rush and Limbaugh and all that kind of stuff and the news. and it, it depresses you anyway. Turn it off or put on some nice prayer music and talk to God while you're driving. Can you talk to anyone else in the car while you're driving? You talk on the phone while you're driving. Talk to God. Talk to Him. And communicate with him like you would as though your spouse was sitting there. Maybe that's not a good example if y'all fight a lot. I'm not asking you to fight with God or argue with God, but talk to him. He's easy to talk to. We used to make fun, and I'm done right here, but we used to make fun when I was a teenager, and I, I've repented for it. 
We used to make fun of young men. I don't remember his name. Came to our home church for a brief time when I was a teenager. And we would literally stand outside the prayer room door to listen to him pray. And now I feel very bad because I think he understood more about communicating with God than any of us did. He'd walk in the prayer room and say, Hello, God. How are you today? I'm hoping you're having a good day. I hope things are well with you today. I'm doing pretty good. But God, I, you know, there's a lot of things I'm thankful for. And he'd just talk to God like God was sitting there in a chair. And it did something to me after I matured a little bit. And that's how I talk to God to this day. When I ask God and I pray for our church, I don't just pray, God bless Grace Church. I call a lot of your names. And it's, it goes all the way through. I'll call your name in prayer. And I'll, I'll, if I know anything about you or something going on in your life, I'll pray specifically for that need in your life. I don't just say, God, you know. I think he likes for us to say it. You know, when your kids around Thanksgiving, first part of November, when they started hearing all the Christmas music at the Walmart and the mall and all that kind of stuff, did they ever walk up to you and say, oh, mom and dad, oh, mom and dad, please get me something for Christmas. Oh, God, oh, mom and dad, God help my mom and dad to get them. Okay. They pretty much knew you were going to get them something for Christmas, right? I don't know of any kids that just wasn't going to get anything. They knew they was going to get something. So they wanted to help you with it. To make sure whatever you bought them is what they wanted. Why can't we learn from that? I didn't walk in and just say, Mom and Dad, I'd, I'd sure like to have a Christmas present this year. We've got to the point in our family now that when birthdays and Christmas rolls around, we'll ask each other, well, what do you want? I do that because I want to get Sister Murphy something she wants. I don't want to give her, I gave her the mantle clock that time I learned a lesson. That was really a present to her for me. And uh, it didn't work out too good right, right after we got married. I wanted a mantle clock, so I bought her one for Christmas. And we could enjoy it together. And I learned a lesson. So I asked her, what would you like to have for Christmas? It's annoying when she says it doesn't matter. It does matter. And we have a tendency sometimes to do that in our relationship with God. God knows that he can bless our lives with things. Why don't we be real specific as to what? Ask him. Talk to him. It helps you to mature in your prayer life. When you read the word of God, be open-minded to it. Let it speak to you. I, I, I don't like it when people walk up and say, man, I'm reading five chapters every day. Okay, that's great, but are you absorbing any of it? My issue with Bible quizzing for our kids, and I'm all into that, but my issue with it, are they just learning verses? Are they learning words? Or do they have any idea what it means? Is anybody taking any time to tell them and teach them what it means? So it's not just enough to pack our head with stuff. We have to apply it and do it and act like we believe it and what have you. Is this making sense to anybody? God bless you tonight. Thank you so much for being here. We even had a good crowd here tonight with our kids and all them folks absent. And uh, uh, I'm, it's uh, about eight, I'm quitting eight minutes early. So that gets deposited in my Sunday morning bank. So uh, there you go. You're dismissed setting down. God bless you. Thank you for being here and we'll see you. Sunday morning. <clears throat>